Hello. Welcome to Your School is Effing You. This is a podcast about grading, teaching, reform, pedagogy, the philosophy of education, and all the ways that the modern institution of education is failing students, teachers, parents, and democracy. My name is Timothy Butt. I teach philosophy and humanities in Montreal, Quebec, in Canada. Since this is the first ever episode, I'd like to talk about how I got here and where is here. I've been teaching full-time since around 2007, although my first teaching contract was in 1999, well over 20 years ago. And I think when I first started teaching, I started with a kind of confidence in the system. And what I mean by confidence in the system is this. Here's the system. The system is that the teacher is the expert, and the students are ignorant. They're empty vessels, if you like. They're blank slates, if you like. If you prefer a more Socratic metaphor, they are pregnant with ideas, and the teacher is a a midwife. I think of this as being similar to the banking model, as Paulo Freire likes to talk about it. The teacher makes deposits of information and then periodically tests them to ensure that their deposits are secure. But in the last five years or so, I've started to see some cracks in this system. First of all, the world is changing, and it's changing faster than I am. My students are changing with it, to be sure. And what this means is, there's a lot for me to learn from them. Second of all, the master-student dynamic is pretty toxic. Teaching, especially at the post-secondary level, has to begin from a place of mutual trust and respect. Finally, I've become suspicious of grading. Grading's the principal tool for maintaining the master-student dynamic. So if we're going to re-examine the master-student dynamic, we have to re-examine grading as well. This is a podcast that will discuss the ways that the modern education system needs to be re-examined. All the ways that your school is effing. This is episode one. Grades don't encourage performance, they hinder it. This topic touches on some major themes that I'll want to discuss in greater details in further episodes, no doubt, especially grading, the psychology of motivation, the importance of creativity in the modern education system. But for now, I want to give you a taste of my own experience with alternative grading. I'll follow up with details and data in a future episode, most certainly. I want to begin by breaking the link between grades and education. I think most of us, whether we're teachers, parents, current students, administrators, most of us think that grades are somehow central to education, central to learning. I think we believe this because this is how we all experienced education. This is all how we went through school. But even a cursory examination of the history of education shows this to be not true. Where exactly does education begin? That's hard to say, of course. 
But with my students, I like to look at the link between our evolution and education. Think about Homo habilis. She's a tool user. But she had to also be a teacher. Otherwise, her tool use would have died with her. She needed to be able to teach her offspring how to use tools as well. And her offspring had to be able to teach their offspring and to learn new and different ways of using those same tools. In this sense, teaching and learning is in our DNA. And we see this today, by the way, in modern chips. They teach their offspring how to use tools, and those offspring figure out new and interesting ways of using those same tools. But when we talk about the history of education, most often we're interested in the history of formal education. There's evidence of formal education in India, China, Egypt, Greece, going back four or 5,000 years, but there doesn't seem to be any evidence of any sort of grading system attached to any of these. But if we're principally interested in talking about the modern public education system in North America, which is largely what I'll be interested in in this podcast, we might note that the grading systems that we recognize today, the A through F or the 100-point system or the grade point average, are really linked to the rise of the modern public education system, which itself dates to the reform period between the 1830s and the 1860s. During this period, reformers like Horace Mann are pushing for public funds for public education for all children in order to support democracy. Although the reform period uh, spans a good 30 years, it doesn't really take off. The reforms aren't really accepted uh, until the uh, second half of the 1860s, so post-Civil War. And what I mean by take off, what I mean by fully accepted, is that public funds are put aside and enrollments are increased. Prior to the public system, you might think of the Little Red Schoolhouse. The idea that you have five, six, seven, eight-year-olds all in the same little schoolhouse with one teacher. This is only possible because there are so few children receiving any sort of education. The reform increases enrollments, and that means it becomes impractical to keep all of these kids together. So, they need to be separated. And, of course, they're separated by age. And presumably that means by level of competency, let's call it. What I like to say to my students is, grades don't exist until grades exist. Since you have grade levels, you're going to need grades for the purposes of determining matriculation. The most important thing to notice here is that grades, in their origin, are an administrative tool. They are not a tool for motivation. They are not a carrot or a stick by which to get students to do better work, to do more work, to excel. So, what we see is grades and education don't have to go together. First, because they didn't always go together historically. And second, because grades aren't for teaching, they're for bureaucracy, they're for keeping records, they're for paperwork. This year, I divorced grades from assignments. I kept grades out of my classroom. I don't want to discuss the details of just how I did this, but I promise to in a future episode. In the meantime, if you're interested in the subject, uh, you can refer to my guest post on the Grading for Growth uh, webpage, gradingforgrowth.com. Because I made this change, I was able to use assignments to teach students 
rather than to test them in the sense of put them to the test or tricking them, if you like. In technical jargon, we did formative work rather than summative work. And to be honest, I'm not really convinced that summative work is really a thing. That is, I'm not convinced that you can reliably evaluate a student's work. But more on that in the future. So, what happened in my classes this year? First of all, students were more engaged, indeed more engaged than they've ever been in my years teaching. I didn't have to convince them that what we were doing was interesting or relevant to their lives. I didn't use grades to force them to do so. Whatever they found interesting in my class, they found interesting all on their own, and they pursued it out of their own interest. And why didn't I have to force them? Because second of all, I had built trust with them. I broke the master-student dynamic. They didn't see me as a taskmaster, and they didn't see their job over the course of the semester to be to satisfy whatever criteria or rubrics I had set for them. And finally, as a result of these two changes, we were able to structure assignments after their own interests and questions. And the reason we were able to do this is because they had their own interests and questions. I wasn't forcing them to find something interesting. They were allowed to find things interesting all on their own, and when they did, they were able to pursue the questions that they had. So, here is an illustrative example. I teach a second semester humanities course in which we read Nietzsche's On Truth and Lies in a Non-Moral Sense. We spent several classes discussing the text, and in our final session, I planned to uh, discuss his notion of forgetting. The notion of forgetting is extremely important in the argument he's making in the text, uh, but moreover, it's one that we come back to later on in the semester, and so I'm laying the foundation for further texts and further conversations. It's important enough that I planned to finish our last session on the text with some in-class writing on the notion of forgetting. Well, our conversation about forgetting naturally led to a conversation about failure. And to be sure, I don't remember exactly how we got there, but the interesting bit is that it was student-led. They got us from forgetting to failure. In certain circumstances, I might want to steer them back to the topic of forgetting. That was the central theme for the day. But I thought it was important to stick with the concept of failure, in large part because it allowed me to introduce the importance of failure and being willing to fail as a part of learning and growth. In my humanities classes, and in my philosophy classes as well, participation is extremely important. Students do better when they participate, when they test out their ideas, when they challenge their ideas, when they challenge the ideas of their uh, colleagues. But my students in general are pretty afraid of speaking up in class. I think this is pretty common among 17, 18, 19-year-olds. In part, we've taught them not to take those kinds of risks in the classroom. Grades are a punishment for doing poorly, for saying the wrong thing, for using the wrong words. But in this class in general and this particular session, but in this course in general and this particular session, the students were very eager to talk, especially about this topic. It was as if the stigma of failure had been removed simply by acknowledging it. 
So now, the assignment. When the conversation came to an end, I was fully prepared to prompt them to write about forgetting. But at this point, they stopped me and asked if they could write about failure instead. I replied, of course. And it was some of the most intense writing they had done all semester. They wanted feedback. They were extremely proud of what they had produced. At the end of the semester, I held exit interviews. It's a chance for me to speak to each student one-on-one, get a sense of how they did, why they did the way that they did, whether or not they could have challenged themselves more, how they could have challenged themselves more. It gives them a chance to think about how they can do better in the future. And it also allows me to ask how I can do things better, how I can improve my classes, how I can improve my way of communicating with them, how I can build more trust. And when I ask the students what they would have changed about my class, a significant number of them suggested that we need to do more writing like the writing we did on the topic of failure. I want to emphasize this very clearly. Generally speaking, students don't want to do work. They are overwhelmed. My students have eight, nine classes at a time. They don't want more work. They don't want more reading. They don't want more homework. But in this particular case, my students were asking to do more work. Grades do not encourage performance. They hinder it. And the evidence, at least in this case, is that when you take away the grades, students shine. If you enjoyed this episode, please think about sharing it with your students, your colleagues, your teachers, your parents. If you have any feedback you would like to share, or if you have a topic you would like me to discuss, please email me at you at gmail.com. Intro and outro music is by Ol Savannah. The song is Don't Let It Rain. There ain't no rats, and there can be no wrong. Have you seen it rain? Rain right on the floor. Let it rain on the floor. Let it pour, let it pour, let it pour, let it pour. Let your skill